thank you for our brother and our friend. Uh, Lord, as he's walked with us so faithfully in this body and integrity and, and truth and love. And, and Lord, uh, like all of us, even when he's had shortcomings, Lord, he's been so, so honest about them. Lord, we appreciate his, his just authenticity. Lord, I just ask you to bless him as he shares from your word today. And we, we open our hearts to receive over these next minutes together. Thank you for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gordy. <clears throat> All right, I'll put that out of the way. I'll trip over it. Uh, good morning. It's been an interesting uh, journey. It struck me uh, in some of the readings, especially the reading for Advent, it's... Uh, it's amazing how for a non-liturgical church we have a lot of uh, liturgy going on. Uh, I see that the, the colors of the candles are all correct. Uh, did you know that this is the third Sunday in Advent? And this is the Sunday that, uh, if you look at its Latin name, translates rejoice. That um, actually this period of time, Advent and Lent, mirror one another. And the first parts of those... Uh, periods of time in church history are for us to repent of our sin, to acknowledge it, and then it moves into a period of joy. And so it's really appropriate. I like that reading today because it struck me that when, when you think of releasing captives or prisoners, do you think of someone else? You know, how many times do we think, really, that applies to me? Right? What have I been released from? What have I been freed from? Because that's what the Lord's promise is. It's to us as captives. It's to us as prisoners. And that we just share the fact that we have been released and you too and others can be released. All right, this morning uh, um, <clears throat> we're going to see how effective the prayers of the saints are here. <laughs> because I didn't feel too organized and so I asked them to pray for that this morning, which they graciously did. So let's begin. Hopefully this is going to work. There we go. O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? Come on. They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. Thanks, Gordy. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is sleeping, slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. 
When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? One that brings on misery by its decrees? They band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. For the Lord, the Lord our God, will destroy them. Now, you may be wondering how Psalm 94 connects with Advent. Um, and that's what I've been dealing with this past week. But I think it speaks to two of the most recent themes that as a community, as VEV, we have been facing. We've been looking at Micah 6 and looking at issues of justice. And then also, we have been confronted with events that have caused great sorrow and lamentation among us. And I think this psalm speaks directly to that. And so does Advent. This year, more than most, in my memory anyway, it highlights the bitterness, the despair sometimes that we all face in life. That is, unless you're one of those fortunate few people. You know, your career path has a straight line. Nothing has ever gone sideways in your life. You know, if you are, well, then you can fill out Christmas cards, okay? <laughs> you can encourage the rest of us, right? But how many of us face that, especially at Advent, where the longing that we have and what our experience is, we see the great gap that there is between the two, especially if we immerse ourselves in the promises of Scripture, especially the thing that should bring us most hope, we see we are nowhere near where we would like to be or where we want to be. So that's why I want to look at this song. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to look at, it, at the psalm first, and then we're going to look at Advent and how we can begin to have a hopeful orientation for our lives. Okay? So first of all, Psalm 94, it's very interesting. It's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. It's a corporate lament, and yet it contains very individual promises for us. One of the major things, though, about lament that we need to understand is I've got to press the right button. There we go. The theological significance of a lament is that it expresses a trust in God, get this, in the absence of any evidence that he is active. Now, I want to say in the absence that we cannot see it. All right? If you were there at the birth of Jesus, would you have connected the birth of that small child with God with us? No? I mean, for all of you mothers out there, how would you have thought, woohoo, the kingdom of God is advancing. I'm giving birth in a stable. No? It's, it's not sort of the mighty display that we would anticipate, is it? And yet, it was happening. Okay? Now, there is a specific, a very specific movement in laments. First of all, it does not shy away from how grievous it is. There is a clear articulation of the emotion of the crisis. It doesn't back away from that. It's not that if we acknowledge something is evil or something is not good, that we are cursing ourselves. That's, that's I want to say a certain construction word that I hear often on the job site, but I won't. 
Okay? It's just simply not true. We can acknowledge what is reality, the reality that we are facing. We have to acknowledge that if we want to address issues of justice. But we can also say it's not what God wants. It is not in the will of God. And in fact, He will address it either through us in a partial way or ultimately, He will address it when He returns. There's no doubt about that. But it articulates the emotion of the crisis. But then it moves on. And it moves on to a direct Appeal. Intervene. Act. Like in Psalm 94. That's his opening cry, isn't it? Rise up. I want to see you, Lord. Shine forth. How long will this keep going on? There's a petition for God to intervene. And then finally, there's an affirmation of trusting God, even though there may be no immediate deliverance from the crisis. But there is strength to meet the crisis. Or strength to get beyond the crisis. All right, let's keep going. I want to look at four questions out of this psalm. So you can relax, we're not going to cover all 23 verses. We're going to take sort of big chunks and pick little, little bits and pieces out of it. But there are four questions really here there's the one of how long will the wicked be jubilant? There's the one, and please don't be offended, uh, but fools in the Old Testament, especially in Psalms, Proverbs, places like that, can refer to people who simply lack knowledge. Okay, So I'm including myself in that category, um, very much so. Uh, but fools, when will you become wise? You know? And then there's the question, who will rise up against the wicked? Who will? And finally, can a corrupt throne be allied with God? Okay, They're all questions that arise right out of this song. So, the first question, how long will the wicked be jubilant? Verses 1 through 7. The question is actually in verse 3, stated in a couple of different ways. It's interesting that the call here is because of the presence of evil. The psalmist is saying, look, something is wrong here, and I want you to step in and judge. How long will this go on? Because the wicked are arrogant. They're oppressive. They murder the inheritance of God. If you look at the people that are expressed... These are the top three of people who should be protected in society, according to the Old Testament. The widow, the foreigner, and the fatherless. They're always the people who are picked out. If you go through the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, when you look at who should be cared for, who should not be forgotten in society, it's these three. And yet here, the psalmist is saying, these are the people who are particularly targeted. Now you think of where we live today. Who are the people who live below the poverty line for the most case? You know? Immigrants, refugees, single mothers, children, the elderly, same thing. Right? First Nations, all sorts of people who get marginalized. Right? And on a whole, does our society really care for them? 
You know? Now, we can't address all the issues that happen. You know? we, can't, we can't change the way economics work, by and large. But we can call out to God to lead us into how we are to respond to these people. The question isn't directly answered here unless you look at the end of the psalm, where it does say that God will deal with them. He will destroy them, it says. But the question is answered in a different psalm, in Psalm 37. Actually, I was looking at both of these psalms, trying to pick which one to use. In the opening reading that we had today, and what does he say? He says, don't fret when you see evil people. Don't get... And it's funny, the word... Uh, I guess we could say it's similar to our saying of getting hot under the collar. You know, someone irritates you in the colloquial phrase, don't get hot under the collar, you know. Don't let them get to you. And that's the same thing here. Don't fret. Don't become agitated to the point where you're getting heated, where your emotions are rising up. Because further on in Psalm 37, it says that leads only to evil. But it says, think of it this way. What about the flowers of the field? What about the grasses of the field? How long do they live? Now, they might live longer than we want them to. In fact, I know they do. But they will be dealt with, and they will not, be, they will not last long. So the second question. Oh, come on. Boy. No, no, we're way back. There we go. When will you become wise? (laughs) Verses 8 through 15. It's very interesting that the first step in wisdom is to acknowledge where it comes from. Who Who gives it to us? The psalmist says, look, the arrogant and the wicked, they say God doesn't see, and even if he does, he doesn't perceive or understand the significance of what's going on. That's what the the words that are used there mean. But he says, look, when will you become wise? Did the one who created your eye or created your ear, can he not see or hear? Notice how it moves to a global application where he says, look at the one who disciplines nations. Will he not act? If he knows all of the thoughts of mankind and he knows that they are futile, can he not correct us? Can he not teach us? So the first step is to recognize, A, We need to turn to God, the one who causes nations to rise and fall. The other thing is that we receive instruction directly from his law, from his word. Now, we need skill in interpreting. We need skill in exegeting, as Gordy demonstrated in terms of gatekeepers. I wouldn't advise that kind of exegesis all the time. But, but we need to, to loosen up a little bit and, and to recognize how to translate from Old Testament to New. Yes, there are duties that need to be performed. The priests had their duties. And as members of, of a community here, we have our duties. And they're all different. But we all need to experience that call of God. Right? And it's the same thing in terms of dealing with issues of justice. So, I've got to keep moving on here. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Now, this one is interesting. Because you notice that he looks, again, directly right back. You know, it, <laughs> funny that Gordy used that, uh, that image of when we teach our children that they don't, 
get to the point where they just simply always the default answer is, oh, Jesus. You know, because in this psalm, actually, the, the default answer is the Lord. Right? Have you noticed that so far? It continues on. Who will rise up against the wicked? The Lord will. But I want to direct your attention again to how did Jesus confront and rise up against the wicked in his lifetime? Because it will look far different than what we think it should look like. We might miss it if we don't grasp that. He came to deliver his people from sin. He came to throw off the oppressors of of God's people. But how did he do it? He did it by laying down his life, didn't he? In that great passage by Paul, he didn't consider equality with God something that he would hold on to and use for his advantage, but he gave it up. He made himself a servant. He even humbled himself to the point of death. And then he was exalted. Now, is that our example? Is that what we desire when we confront issues of justice or when we see the disjunction that there is between what we are longing for and hoping for and what we have? Who will rise up for me? If you read in Psalm 22, one of the most famous psalms that the Christian church has used because it refers so much to to Jesus and to his crucifixion, you will read in there his call asking God for aid to save him. And in Psalm 60, we hear this and read this. Give us aid against the enemy for human help. Notice that human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. It's the same word here. Who will rise up? Who will take a stand against the wicked for me? God will. Now, he will do it in and through us in ways that are unexpected. And we will not or may not see the victory that we're looking for, but we will be victorious in him. Now, there we go. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? This one is really difficult. I think it faces us with one of the challenges that there is, uh, that is really most difficult for us to face. And that's the fact that we have to deal with, as we saw in Micah 6, to confront injustice, we need to confront the injustice in ourselves. Right? Because a corrupt throne, the answer to this question is obvious. It cannot be connected with God. Because he alone is righteous. He is totally righteous. He is both justified in judging and right in judging. And yet he chooses to be merciful and to bring life to us. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? Well, obviously no. So, now, we come back to the hard question. How does all of this relate to the Advent? And how can we use, how can in this psalm, which seems, I don't know about you, but when I first read it, and, and as I've continued to read it, it really strikes me as feeling a little bit uncomfortable. You know, we want Jesus to be nice, to be warm and fuzzy. And this psalm is anything but warm and fuzzy. Even the person asking seems a little extreme to you and me. Well, at least he does to me. I don't know about to you. You know, God, come and kill these people. <laughs> I don't know about you. This sort of, how many times do you hear that kind of message in church? 
At least not in vineyard churches. You know? A couple others, yeah. You know? But it's an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? So how do we do that? First of all, one of the things that I think we need to understand is this. And I just learned this. This is, uh, uh, again, a revelation of the fact that I did not grow up or I have not experienced many liturgical churches in my lifetime. You know, I, I visited them for a worship course one time. I thought it was really cool, but I didn't understand anything that was going on. And there was a lot of smoke in the air. Um, but... Advent is simply a Latin translation of the Greek word parousia. In other words, the coming of Christ or the arrival or the appearing of Christ. So there are two Advents that we're talking about. There's the first Advent of Jesus as the Christ child. And the second Advent of him coming as Christ the King, the ruler, the one that will rise up, shine forth, and judge the wicked and destroy them. And we need to keep those two in our viewpoint and use them to orient the way we act right now. Okay? It's very important. There are a number of things about Advent. I didn't put those slides. Little aside, I'm trying to train myself to go back to using notes. I don't know why, I just felt I should. (laughs) So I don't have all the slides in there. And it's a good thing because I often, well, maybe it's not a good thing because I forget what slides I have, what slides I don't have. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, We're back on track now. There are a couple things we need to know about Advent. One is that it does remind us of the original waiting of the Israelites. They were waiting for this Advent. They were waiting for Messiah to come. The joy, the expectation, the longings that were built up around the arrival of the Messiah, you can understand why there was this great reaction when Jesus appeared. Why was it that Herod reacted so violently when he heard, what about this king of the Jews that's been born? And Herod's going, hold hold on, I'm the king. Any other king? Uh Uh-uh. Herod had already murdered a couple of his sons. What were a few hundred kids in Bethlehem? Right? Because there are only two reactions at Advent. Either you are welcoming the king, you are submitting to him, or you are fighting him and you are his enemy. There isn't a middle ground. Okay? The second thing about it is that there are the same expectations around the first Advent and the second Advent. There's a sense that we need to be prepared. We have certain duties that need to be done, and we need to be faithful to those because the king is calling us to do that. It is typified somewhat even in the baby dedication that we see and that we experience today. Being not part of the immediate family, it's my responsibility not to place any obstacles in Jocelyn's way. And if I see any obstacles to in, in... to the best of my ability to help remove those for her. To be part of that community that nurtures her so that she sees the king, so that she submits to the king and comes to know him. Right? And it's the same thing in terms of our preparation for the second advent. What are we called to do? 
What is the king moving us toward and equipping us so that we provide a prophetic voice? The same expectations are there because we're longing for the day when things will be put right. And from Scripture, I think we can clearly say now that at the second advent, they will be. Because he will not appear through natural means. He will appear coming out of the clouds. The other thing we need to understand is that this appearance isn't, or that the both waitings are not necessarily, although they don't exclude, but they're not necessarily focused upon personal sin. They're focused upon this, what we would call today systemic evil. It's the evil that is there simply because all of the systems, all of the ways in which we do things, and folks, even the way we do church are infected with sin because of who designs them and who operates them. Right? That's why. I don't know how many times you always hear in this church, you know what, yes, I happen to be the guy up here with the mic, but don't just take what I say simply because that's so. You read the Scripture. You seek God. You pray with other people and and discuss with other people what, what the Scripture is saying. Did I get it right? You go back and read Psalm 94. right? That's when God will speak to you. He may use things that I say to, to tweak things in you or to, to you know, highlight something. But the Spirit of God is your teacher. Okay? And we need to understand that. And finally, there is a challenge, and I want to come back to this. The challenge is we seek to act justly as we seek to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, is that we must remember to focus totally on God, on the Lord, on His promises, on His empowerment, on His purpose. And I think that's where we really have a challenge. Are we using what He provides to accomplish what He wants done? That's the hardest question for us and the hardest thing for us to do because we are so sometimes wrapped up in does it make us look good? Whether, whether personally or as a corporate body, right? Or as a movement. Does it look us? Does it make us look good? As opposed to, does it make God look good? Are we consistent with what God says? Now, the reason why I say that, said previously, that we need both advents is that we need that perspective. You know, uh, the reason why we have two eyes, right? so that we can have depth perception. You know, if you only have one eye, you will bump into things because you don't have that kind of depth perception. When you're, if any of you have done any hiking where you don't have trails, where you just are using maps, if you do not orient yourself between two points, you can very easily get lost. In fact, uh, one of the clearest illustrations of this is I was hiking in the Cascades where we were in... Forests that were high enough that you could not see, thick enough that at some points you had to take your pack off to get through them. But to stay on the bearing that we needed to stay, because we had to hit a ridge, because it was the only one where we could get down, we had to basically play leapfrog, a version of leapfrog with a compass. And you would direct a person as far as they could go until you could not see them anymore, 
and make sure that they were on bearing. And then the next person would go past them. And you'd do the same thing over and over again so you did not get lost. And you did not come out at the wrong place. Okay? Why do we need two points? Because, I think, illustrated in some lyrics, and actually I was listening to last week and said, hey, this will (laughs) fit. Is this. Let's hear a laugh for the man of the world who thinks he can make it work. Tried to build the new Jerusalem and ended up with New York. Okay? Because if we don't have the perspective of the two advents that brings us hope, that brings us joy, that tells us it will be put right, we will try to do it on our own. And I tell you, there are a lot of injustices that we talked about over the past few weeks that the church was involved in. They didn't get involved in it because they thought we want to make somebody suffer. They got involved in it because they thought they could do somebody some good. But it went sideways on them. Right? So we have to be careful to have the perspective that only God and His Spirit can bring. And then there's the other. Can I go with you? When you ride out of the shining sky to claim the ones who loved you, can I go with you? When the angel shouts from the heart of the sun and the living water flows down, can I go with you? And the earth and the stars melt like ice in the spring and a million voices sing praise, can I go with you? This past week, in our home group, we've been looking at Second Peter, and, and Peter talks very vividly about this period of time. When the elements will melt, when the earth will be judged, but God will return, and there is the promise of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's in between those two arrivals that we can find hope to orient ourselves for the space that's in between them, for the time that's in between them. And that's what we need to do. Why is it that we have hope that we even bring children into the world? Because God is active. And God will come and He will set it right. Let's pray together. Father, We come before you and we ask that you will teach us, that you will guide us, that you, by your Spirit, will raise up for yourself people who acknowledge you, people who look to you for counsel and look to you for direction. We ask that you would raise us up that we might call others to come, to worship you, to seek you, that we would know how to live here and now, that we can confront evil without malice, with mercy, and yet still confront it with strength and with power in your name. O Lord, we ask for your presence. We can think of no other gift that is worth asking for than that you would be with us in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, John. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I have to confess that uh, <clears throat> I, I heard a pretty powerful sermon this week, other than this one. This one was great. But this one, the other one I'm talking about was by an atheist named Bill Maher. And uh, uh, he, he gets on, and it's a little video clip if you can find it. I'll give you a, a language warning <laughs> for it, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. Uh, it's called Thy Will Be Gun. Uh, G-U-N, Thy Will Be Gun. And he goes after Christians. Like I have not heard, <laughs> and uh, it hurts. It hurts, but uh, we need to hear it. And it's hype. You know, it's hyperbole. Uh, it's not one hundred percent accurate, but it's a message for the church. Um, and essentially, it's just this whole thing of of we want God's justice, we want His kingdom to come, but as Christians, we end up doing it independent of Him. On our, without God's ways, and, and we end up becoming the most violent, bloody, oppressive people sometimes in the name of God because of it. I think that's changing, but we constantly need to guard our hearts, and we constantly need to make sure that the throne of our hearts are aligned with, with God. And uh, I think of, of just Joshua when he came up to the walls of Jericho and he saw... This, this, this man standing there with a sword drawn. And he, he came up to him and he said, are you, are you on our side or theirs? Remember that? Are you on our side or their side? And what did he say? Do you remember? He says, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm, on t- I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on God's side. I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm, in the, I'm the captain of the army of God. The question is, whose side are you on? Because we're not in an us and them thing. We're in a thing, Lord, we want to align ourselves with you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a couple of things I feel the Lord wants to pray for. And if anybody has a word, uh, please indicate so. We're going to release you in a few minutes. But I want to just uh, release the Holy Spirit to move. Uh, we've heard the word of God. In our experiences, the Lord often loves to come and confirm and follow his word. Uh, with healing, with, with ministry. Um, but one, one word I, I sensed, I've already kind of made reference to it before the sermon, it's this whole thing of God was with, uh, uh, with these gatekeepers. God was with them. His presence was with them. And I, I just have a sense that there's just uh, some people that need to hear that and encounter that. And the way that's going to happen is, is God with skin on. A brother or sister coming beside you and just praying with you. Um, often dry periods that I've had have been broken just by a brother or sister. Remember that little poem we used to say? I sought uh, my God, but God I couldn't see. I sought myself, but self eluded me. I sought my brother or sister and found all three. And I, and I feel like that's kind of the spirit of this morning. It's just the Lord wants to connect with you through his body. Um, there's just something about him being with you. I've been, I've been on this exercise every night or every morning when I get up. And I say, Lord, rather than me trying to uh, produce something, I want to see what you're doing. And I've just 
been really praying that prayer every morning. Father, show me what you're doing so that I can do that with you. And then at night or in the next morning, I'll reflect on what I saw or what I encountered. And there's, there were a couple days this week where at the end of the day or, at the end, or the next morning as I reflected on it, I thought, well, I didn't see any bells and whistles. In fact, there was a lot of tragedy today, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of mess. But one thing I noticed, he was with me. In a very, just, just, he was with me. Yesterday, just, it wasn't a bell and whistle day. We went and got our Christmas tree, and I was so excited. My, I felt like the Christmas tree was my baby. I was carrying this baby. I, I think I've been away from my grandkids too long. But anyway, I, I, you know, I was carrying this, this baby into the house, and I was so excited and sending, and oh, it's a beautiful smell, and it filled the house. And, and you know, Canucks won, kicked Ottawa's butt, and it was good, and you know, I, it was just one of those ordinary days, you know. At the end of the day, I went, Jesus, you have been with me. I did this day with you. And I just feel like what he, that's what he wants to impart to some of you today. Just a fresh sense of that. Hey, the bells and whistles, they'll come and go. Remember Elijah last week? The fire, the, the earthquake, the wind. That'll come and go. But that still small voice, that gentle blowing, that can be always there with us. If we listen, if we're still he wants to give that and impart that to us as a gift. Hmm. Let's stand together. <clears throat> if, if that's you this, this morning, because it's still morning, believe it or not, one minute before noon. If that's you, and you just say, Lord, I, I, I feel like I need that given to me as a gift. Would you just lift your hand? If You can do the Baptist position, the Pentecostal position, whatever, whatever hand-lifting position you want. But just receptivity, just saying, Lord, that's me. Would you come? And, and just put, lift your hand before him. Would you do that right now? Just let him place a gift. Some of you just need refreshing, just a season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? For my dear sisters and brothers, Lord, that just have been just doing life, but they've been kind of the sense that they've been doing it alone. And I pray for a fresh spirit of intimacy, a fresh spirit of fellowship, a fresh spirit of God with us, Emmanuel, that you would come between these two comings, your first coming and your second coming. Lord, today, we need you to come. Holy Spirit, come. Now, we know you're already with us. We know you're omnipresent. But, Lord, you said to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And, and Lord, you said that we were to pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit as your children, even though we already have him and he'll never leave us. But we pray today for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just come, Lord. Just come. Empower us for our parenting, for our neighboring, for our brothering and sistering. Empower us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. We need your power to be people that act justly and love mercy and, and walk humbly with our God. Come, Holy Spirit. Gentle dove of God, rest on us, I pray. Rest on us, Lord, today. Just hear the Lord just saying, wrap he wants to wrap his arms around you and give some of you a kiss on the cheek. He just thinks you're so cute. 
Boy, who said that today a little bit earlier? I can't remember who said that. I think it was Shannon, where we say, we see Jocelyn is so cute. That's how God sees you. Just that tenderness we felt for Jocelyn, would that help maybe right now give you a picture of how God sees you? Can he refresh you in that right now? Can he remind you of how cute you are to him, how delightful you are? And the next time you go to put yourself down, remember, he made you. He, you're his work of art. He's, he put his fingerprints in, and, and he, you got his eyes. You got his features, his DNA. He's your papa, your father. Lord, just come. Give the promise of the father right now. Give that promise of the father. Lord, I just break off depression right now. Oppression, heaviness. In the name of Jesus, Lord. And yes, as John said, we've been grieving. We've been lamenting pain over the last few weeks. But I I sense in the middle of that, you want to bring a spirit of joy. Garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. Lord, would you bring it now? Would you bring it? Jesus' name. If you need healing, I encourage you to come for prayer or just turn to a a person that you trust that could pray with you. Uh, We're going to open the front for for more prayer, just if you want to press in. And uh, if you want to, I don't know, Alec, if you have a song you want to do. So you're welcome to just just quietly worship and soak if you have to go. Actually, parents, you still have 10 minutes before you pick up your kids, so you might as well just stay and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Get a, get a bit of a break, and, and uh, let's, just, let's just worship, pray, bless one another. If you have to go, you can go. Grace and peace.